Here we are in Acts chapter 24 this morning. Paul has been in Jerusalem. He's been rescued by that Roman band that was assigned to watch over that area of Jerusalem. We talked about the fortress of Antonia, um, named after Mark Antony. And then, um, so Paul, we, we know, we, I, some of you have been here, you know what has happened. Paul attempted to reason with the Jews. They remember they dragged him out of the temple. He's trying to reason to them. He's trying to preach them. All they want is what they want him dead. And so the chief captain here has rescued him. He's brought him into the, the fortress again. And he's just waiting. He's just waiting there. And so as time has gone on and Paul is there, Paul has a nephew. Paul has a nephew in chapter 23, we see him, his sister's son, who overhears a plot to kill Paul from these Jews. They, they were going to ask him to come again and talk to us again. We want to talk to you again. And they said, when he comes, we'll, we'll take him out right then. And so the nephew goes uh, to Paul into the, the, the fortress Antonia, tells him about the plan, and Paul gets a centurion guard. He says, uh, this guy has, this boy has something to tell you. They take the boy up to the chief, uh, the chief captain. The boy tells him, I don't know if he's a boy. I keep saying that. He could be a, an adult by this time. I kind of think he's a boy because the chief captain kind of takes him by the hand and he takes him over and listens to what he has to say, but maybe not. And uh, so he tells him the whole plot. Well, here's the problem. Paul is a legal Roman citizen. He has a lot of rights. He, have all, he has all of the rights of a Roman citizen. He has been convicted of nothing. nothing. He has been proven wrong in nothing. And so this chief captain ends up getting Paul, gets about 200 soldiers, about 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, a huge company, and they take Paul that night, about 9 p.m. that night, and they take him down to Caesarea. And down in Caesarea, he's going to be handed over to Felix along with a letter that was sent to him from Claudius. Now, I've some of you maybe have been there at Caesarea. Uh, I don't know. Barbara, did you guys go to Caesarea? Isn't that incredible? And we're standing in one, one area. There's a big, there's the big, uh, it's not even a Colosseum, but most likely where some of this is going to take place here. We stood on some of the, the foundational pieces. It's right on the water. It's beautiful. And sat, stood there most likely where Paul was and where he uh, spoke to uh, Felix and all of this of what is taking place here in chapter 24. And a lot of it that is, is there. Um, if you have opportunity this year, we are still trying to go back to Israel. We're going to try this. COVID's kind of messed it up a little bit, and uh, but we're going to try October, November, maybe somewhere in that time uh, to try it again. So if you want to go, let me know. We'll talk to you about that. We'll get more info, information out later. But uh, I, I would love to go back. I'd like to go in the middle of the summer, too. I'd love to experience the the, the desert out in the middle, you know, in, in that heat. I would love to to see what that's like. Uh, but someday, I've told you what my dad says. I keep inviting him, and he keeps saying, nah, I'll go in the millennium when it's free. And so, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so Paul gets handed over. I want to read this letter to Claudius from, uh, from the chief captain. Look what it says here in verse 26, verse 26 of chapter 23. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. 
this man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. And when it was told me how, that he, how the Jews laid in wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee, and I gave commandment to his accusers also <clears throat> to say before thee that they had against him. Farewell. And so the soldiers brought Paul down. They delivered him over to Felix. Felix takes him in, and this ambush that was planned for Paul, this ambush was averted. But as we come into chapter 24... Paul is going to be on trial. These Jews are going to come down. Ananias is going to come down. Sound familiar? Remember Jesus was brought to Ananias, to the high priest. He's still around. He's still here, uh, involved here. Ananias comes down. A bunch of Jews of uh, the Jews come down. And there's another man that comes down with them by the name of Tertullus. Tertullus. He is an orator, the Bible says here. In chapter or chapter 24 in verse 1. Look what it says here in verse 1. And after five days, Ananias the high priest descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. So <clears throat> what we see here is Ananias brought down a lawyer. <laughs> he brought down an orator. He brought down somebody who could speak their position well. There's two things. There are two possibilities here with Tertullus. The first possibility is he knows nothing of the case and he's just lying. The second possibility is he knows all about the case and he's lying. <laughs> Either way, you're going to see here that Tertullus is kind of I, I don't know how, I mean, obviously, if he's going to stand up and do what he does, there's some character flaws with him. I like the word smarmy. I like the word slimy. Uh, that, that defines some individuals that take up the occupation to lie, to get ahead. And uh, oh, we're not getting into politics. I'm sorry. And so Tertullus comes in front of Felix, and he gets the first shot to, to give them their side of the story of why Paul should be put to death. And in verses 2 through 4, uh, Tertullus opens up with great flattery for Felix, this who's going to judge the case. And then verses 5 through 9, he's going to lay out the case they have against Paul. Let's read, let's read his case here, would we? Look at verse 5. <clears throat> he says, For we have found this man, Paul, a pestilent fellow. This guy's a pest. You ever get a fly in the house? Yeah. Especially if you live out in the country, you get flies. They're a pest, aren't they? This is why people have jobs in what? Pest control, right? Right, Brother Ray? Pest control. Because they're a bit, this is what he's saying to Paul. This guy's a pest. He's like a fly. He's like a gnat. He just won't go away. He's a pestilent fellow. And he goes on to say, look at this. Uh, a, and a mover of sedition... I mean, the the uh, it, it's amazing the the uh, how much uh, uh, well maybe a little bit of hyperbole here, but uh, his sensationalism here and a mover of sedition among all the Jews. He's rounding up all the Jews in sedition throughout the world. 
That's a pretty big charge now. Think about that. That's a really, really big charge. You know what sedition is? It, it is here's Webster's 1828. A tumultuous assembly of men rising in opposition to law or the administration of justice and in disturbance of public peace. It goes on to say that sedition is a rising or a commotion a little bit less than insurrection and both sedition and insurrection are less than rebellion. So what he is saying here is Paul is not only a pest, but he is, he is rising in opposition to the law. Now we're talking about, they're going against the Roman law here. This is a big charge. Sedition. Didn't somebody just get charged with sedition this week? Huh, isn't that funny? <laughs> I think Tertullus is, never mind, never mind. I, th- I think he's still around. And so, so Tertullus is arguing that Paul is involved in a worldwide sedition that includes all of the Jews. And then his fourth thing here, I think it's number four, maybe number three, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's a ringleader. He's the guy in charge. Everybody's following behind him. You know, there's at least four sects within Judaism at this time. There's the Pharisees, there's the Sadducees, there's the Herodians, there's the Essenes. I guess may some may uh, even count the Zealots, might have been another sect. But this Tertullus, this lawyer, was saying that Paul was a ringleader of another sect of the Nazarenes. Obviously, he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, number four, he said he profaned the temple. Now, that's a pretty big charge as well. That is illegal. That is one of those laws that Rome allowed Israel to keep in place. They allowed them to have their charge over that, that you could not profane the temple. So Tertullus is done with Paul's case, and he's going to interject a couple little things here against the Roman government. He tells, uh, he tells Felix here that we would have judged Paul by ourselves, Felix. We would have taken care of Paul, but your people butted in, your people got involved, and now this is in front of you. And you know what, Felix? You wouldn't have even had to deal with this if you had just left us alone. You see this here in verse 7. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Look, at, look above in verse 6. Whom we took, Paul, and would have judged according to our law. But your guys interfered. And so Tertullus is going to end his arguments. All of the, the chief, uh, the, 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 the Jews, the elders that came down with uh, Tertullus and Ananias, they're going to agree, they're going to assent to this in verse 9. And so here we have here, the case is laid out, some pretty heavy charges against the Apostle Paul. Well, now we're going to see an answer from Paul. Paul is going to answer for himself. Look at verse 10. He, he addresses uh, uh, Felix. P- Felix uh, motions to Paul. You can go ahead and respond here, Paul. And he says, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Paul says, I am happy to have the opportunity to answer for myself. And this is Paul's defense. Here it is. Look at verse 12. Are we seeing this here? Let me find my place. I don't think I want to... No, I want verse 11. I'm sorry. 
Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 11 is Paul's first argument against the accusation. He said, look at this, I went up to Jerusalem. There are but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem. Twelve days. Now think about this. He's been five days here at Caesarea. He was a couple days waiting between the interim of, of, uh, of the arguments, of debating, of staying overnight in the fortress Antonia. That only leaves him, what, five, seven, what that, what's that leave him? Another uh, five days? Five days to get the world rounded up in sedition against the Roman government? Five days? That's a pretty good argument, Paul. I think it takes a little bit longer than five days to get sedition going. Are are you with me here? Do you see the logic where Paul is at? Paul is saying, this is really hard to do in five days, friend. But look at this. And here he says, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. In that five days, six, whatever however many days it was, a very short period of time, they did not find me arguing. They didn't find me in the synagogue. They didn't find me in meetings and back alleys, rising people together to try to overtake this government here and try to overtake the Roman government. That's not where they found me, Paul said. Paul said they found me worshiping in the temple. I was all by myself. I was all alone. I was doing what I wanted to do when they found me. When those of Asia came in and saw me and pointed me out and dragged me out of there. I was worshiping their worshiping God. He said, they're exactly right in this, Felix. The one thing I am guilty of is that I was worshiping the God of my fathers. And I am worshiping the God of my fathers in the very way that now they are calling heresy. How is that possible? Look at verse 14. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Paul says, I believe it all. I believe the law. I believe the prophets. I believe the God of Israel. I am worshiping the God of Israel through Jesus Christ. Yeah. So what have I done wrong? Notice what also he says here. Verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul said, if there's, if there's sin in my life, I'd be dealing with it. It's my goal to have a conscience void of offense. That's pretty good to stop right there and think about, isn't it? Yeah. A conscience void of offense. Yeah. And so, in verse 17 and 18, he said, after many years I came to bring alms to my nations, my nation and offerings. It's been a long time since Paul's been at Jerusalem. We've already preached this. We've seen this. We've seen Paul's heart. You've seen his desire. He just wants his kinsmen after the flesh saved. And he says, I just came to bring some some alms. Bring some gifts. Yeah. 
and offerings. Verse 18, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. I was by myself. I was worshiping God. And look what he says in verse 19 to end his argument. Who ought to have been here before thee and object if they have aught against me? All these people that have made these accusations against me, where are they, Felix? They should be here charging me. But they're not here. Why? Because they don't have anything to charge. Because they're a bunch of rotten liars. <laughs> yeah. It was all about the resurrection. It was about the resurrection. Look, look what Paul says in verse 21. Except it be for this one voice. He said, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of worshiping God, the God of my fathers. I am guilty of this. Look at verse 21. Except it be for this one voice. That I cried standing among them. Remember when they, when they were getting right along with him just fine. And he told them about his, his uh, conversion experience with the Lord Jesus Christ when he met Jesus. And then God told him to go to the Gentiles and it all blew up, right? Yeah. He said, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them. It was this time. Touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question by you this day. The, 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 the whole thing. It all hinges on the resurrection, Paul says. And this is why I'm before you. And weirdly enough, he, Paul is saying, we agree. So why am I here? <laughs> I love the mind of Paul. He's brilliant. He's a brilliant mind. And so he's done. And Felix is going to answer now. I want to give you a little background of Marcus... Antonius Felix. Marcus Antonius Felix was the former slave of the emperor of that time, Claudius. He was a slave. He was loved for some reason. He was loved by Claudius. He was loved by that family. And there are some traits about, uh, about uh, Felix that I think probably would have been uh, something that they did enjoy, that Claudius would have liked. Uh, history says he was ruthless. He was cruel. He excelled in responsibilities that were given to him. And for some reason, Claudius freed Felix as his slave. He freed him. And then on top of that, he appointed him over the region of Judea. He is now here the governor of Judea. But I want you to notice Claudius's, I'm sorry, Felix's character though. Look at Felix's character. History tells us that he was married three times. That's not really the main issue. My point number one and two are the bigger issue here. <laughs> His first wife was Drusilla. He was the mater- she, she was the maternal second cousin of Claudius. Claudius set this up, set this marriage up with Felix. But while he was married to Drusilla, he met another Drusilla. Well, that keeps things uncomplicated, doesn't it? <laughs> He marries another Drusilla. This Drusilla here, he met about tw- when she was about 22 years old. The text here tells us she was a Jew. Her great-great-grandfather was Herod the Great. He, uh, Felix would have most likely found and met uh, Drusilla at her brother's court As I think I told you already, she was about 22 years of age. But I want you to notice something here 
about Drusilla's lineage, though. I told you she was the great-great-granddaughter of Herod, the one who sought to have all the babies two years old and under killed so he could get rid of Jesus, right? Remember that one? We just had Christmas, right? That was all in the stories. This was her great-grandfather. Her great-uncle was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, it was that Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. We remember that whole story. Her father was Agrippa I, number one, who killed the Apostle James. Her brother was Agrippa II, who married, uh, he married Drusilla's sister, Bernice, or Bernice, however you want to pronounce that. I don't know, did you catch this? Drusilla's brother was Agrippa II, who married Drusilla's sister, Bernice. Hold on, let me say it again. Drusilla's brother married Drusilla's sister. (laughs) Yes, very common back then. But I want you to notice something about Drusilla's character herself. She was first married to Jesus, who is the king of the mess of Syria. When Felix met Drusilla, most likely at the court of her brother um, Agrippa, Felix talked her into, while he was married to his first Drusilla, he talked, he talked this Drusilla, Drusilla number two, into divorcing her current husband and marrying him. Which she did. She did. And I, I, I only give you this background Because it's vitally important to what we're coming to at the end of this chapter. The character of Felix, the background of Felix, and the character in the background of Drusilla. Let me say this. They are not by any means what we would count as godly. Now Felix has heard both sides of the case. And now it's up to him to make a decision. Look at verse 22, would you please? And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way. Did you see that phrase? Having more perfect knowledge of that way. Felix knew all about, quote, that way. You know, the early church wasn't called Christians until Antioch. The early church didn't have denominational names at this time. It was the church at Corinth. It was the church at Laodicea. It was the church at, at Philippi. You get the idea. They were, but there was a name, there was a, a name attached to these people, which was that way. Where'd they get that from? Well, maybe it's from Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the Bible says that Felix knew about this way. Let me give you some examples in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Remember, Paul was, the Bible says, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters. And he was headed out to Damascus to get some more uh, Christians. And it said, and he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, there it is. Who is he talking about? Well, what we call Christians. They were called the way. In Acts 19.23, Paul was speaking in Ephesus. And he says, And the same time there arose no small stir about that 
way. What was he talking about? Well, the church at Corinth. Um, yeah, Ephesus, wrong one. He was talking about the church of Ephesus. What were they called? That way. So Felix, the Bible says here that Felix had a more perfect knowledge. He had a, a complete knowledge, a mature or a complete knowledge of that way. He knew all about Christianity. He knew about it. How, how, how would he have known about this? Maybe he did a little background study when he came into Israel. Maybe living in, uh, in Italy and, or in the area in that, that uh, area of Italy and around Rome, maybe he had already been encountered some of the believers that were at Rome. Maybe it's possible that his own wife, Drusilla, who possibly could have been born around 36 AD, could have been totally aware of the church at Jerusalem and knew all about that way. So regardless of how he came to know, the Bible tells us that Felix had enough knowledge to that they would word it this way, that he had a perfect, a more perfect knowledge of that way. About what? What did he have a perfect knowledge of? Well, who Jesus was, maybe. Obviously, that's what the message is about, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Felix most obviously had some knowledge about who Jesus was. He had some knowledge about what Jesus preached. He had some knowledge maybe about what, what believers were preaching about righteousness and temperance and coming judgment. Because this is what Paul's going to preach to him in just a minute here. Felix already knew this. He had a perfect knowledge of it. And these two wicked rulers within the Roman Empire knew the beliefs and the lifestyle of the early church. You know, you can find writings in history of what the world said about, the believer, about believers in those days. What marked their life and the way they lived their life in the way they carried themselves, in the way they interacted in society. There's plenty of history that the way we endeavor to live today is no different than the way they endeavored to live in the first century. They were living according to the Word of God. And Felix understood this. These two wicked rulers knew this. And so Felix now is going to put off some judgment until the chief captain comes down and gives his side of the story. yeah, Pretty wise. Pretty good wisdom there. Notice verse 22 again. Having a more perfect knowledge of that way, he, def- he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. So Felix tells Paul, Paul, you get to be kept again. Put him away, put him away but keep him at least. He has liberty. He can kind of come and go. His friends and acquaintances, they can come in and out. I don't know if this jogs your memory, but there at Caesarea. Remember, he stopped here on the way up to Jerusalem. Who did he stay with in Caesarea? With Philip, right? I wonder if Philip came in and out, maybe visited with him. So, Paul is here waiting for the chief captain to come down. And notice here as our chapter ends up, This is where I want to focus on today. Verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him 
concerning the faith in Christ. He had a more perfect knowledge of that way. And now he's coming in front of Paul, asking him, what of Christ? And he preached to him. The Apostle Paul preached to him in verse 25. He says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. You know what that is. It is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. I've had opportunity to witness to people. And I believe it was just the leading of the Spirit of God. And I've made this statement. I've said this, you know, for some reason, you don't know why it is, but something inside of you is telling you what I'm saying is true. And invariably, they will nod their head. Why? Because it's the same Holy Spirit that convicted the heart of Felix, that convicts the heart of every one of us today. Felix trembled. You ever trembled at the preaching? Even after you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe there's some things God was working out of your life and you got under a message and your insides were trembling. It's the Holy Spirit of God. This is what Felix is doing right now. He's trembling before God. So this is really incredible to me, this little side note. Paul went to Jerusalem in spite of the warning. He's ended up again in a legal battle, which is fight, watch, which will end in maybe about, I don't know, nine years at his death. He's not getting out of this legal battle per se. And while it looked like his missionary ministry is over, Paul now has an audience with a ruler in the Roman Empire. Can I tell you this morning, we never know, we never know how God intends to use the seasons of our life that look hopeless. And here God is using Paul here. And we do know at Rome, there were those of the household of Caesar that came to faith in Christ. It's pretty, I don't know if you've stopped and thought about that. Sometimes we pray for our government and sometimes we pray in unbelief because we think there is no way the Holy Spirit of God can get into the into Congress and the presidency. And I, at times I might have to believe you, <laughs> but it's not true. Yeah, They can get saved. But you notice this. Uh, we're going to bring this to a close here today. But I want you to notice this. this. This, Felix's response, is an outcome of preaching. Notice this. He trembled. Here it is. Verse 25. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I I like that, how the Holy Spirit said this here, that Felix answered. I thought Paul was just doing a bunch of talking. What what is there to answer? Well, there's there's always an answer when there's preaching. Because the difference between preaching and teaching is that preaching is, means that, you, is that you, you are left with a decision to make. 
You are either going to say yes or no to what's been presented to you. And, and here Felix has been preached to. He's been preached the gospel. He has been left with a decision to make, yes or no. And he answers, more convenient time. Come again some other time, Paul. That was, that was wonderful. Thank you. Knees are knocking. His body is shaking. He's under conviction. You notice what the Bible says Paul preached of? Of righteousness, of right and wrong. Think about how he's living. Of temperance, of self-control. Think about their lifestyle. Of the judgment to come. You're going to stand before the God. You are a judge before me today, but there is coming a day that you're going to stand before the God of heaven. Wow. He's trembling. And so, he tells them to come. At another time, a more convenient season, I'm going to call for you. Do you realize we have no record in history of Felix ever getting saved? Now, now, now history does record that Felix and Drusilla had one son and one daughter. History does record that Drusilla was actually among those of Pompeii who died at the, at the eruption of, of, uh, of um, Vesuvius, thank you, in 79 A.D. The only other real big name that died at Vesuvius was Pliny the Elder. Drusilla and Pliny the Elder. We know that from history. But we have no biblical record and no historical record that Felix ever got saved. And here for two years now, two years, Felix is going to keep Paul at Caesarea, hoping to get a bribe. And think about this. For two years, a more convenient season never comes. Do you see this here? Verse 26, He had hoped also that money should have been given to him of Paul, that he might lose him, where he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. For two years, he had... He, he communed with Paul. For two years, he talked to Paul, hoping to get a bribe, so he'd be let out. And finally, Paul says, well, eventually, he's going to talk to Festus next, but eventually, he's going to say, I appeal to Caesar. And the case is going to be moved. Two years. And a convenient season never comes. You know, there is a danger here. I like what one preacher said. It was, Fascinating to me. There's a danger here in the metaphysical realm. Now we're not into meta, we're not into that type of metaphysics, but we're talking about the brain. You know, when we do something repetitious, to simplify it, let me say it this way: it creates grooves and paths in your brain that make it easier to do it over and over and over again. You go through the woods for the first time and you're running through rose, wild roses and thorns and, and you're just getting caught on everything and, and there's no, you can kind of see a path maybe, but you're making your own path. And as you, you, we know what happens, you go over that path over and over and over and over and over again to where as years goes by, there's nothing that brushes up against you anymore. There's no grass and the, there's no leaves. There's, you have, you have burrowed and wore away a rut through that place, through the woods. And you've created a path. Cattle do it in fields. You ever seen it in a field? Yeah. They take the same path every time. To go from point A to, well, whatever goes on in that brain. 
They take the same path. And they'll wear, they'll wear down a path through the field. You'll see them all over. That happens in our mind as well. We do the same thing over and over again. You ever see, maybe watch a, a lady crochet or knit or whatever. Is that what you do, crochet? And what's crocheting with the long? Do what? Crocheting, one hook. One hook, okay. Well, if you watch somebody one hook their crochet or whatever it is, well, watch them. You probably don't even think about it hardly. Do you count in your head while you're going? Do you have to count? Yeah. Sometimes? Sometimes you don't, do you? You've done it so often. Watch. You've created a path in your brain. You could watch TV. You could ignore your husband. You could do all sorts of things without even thinking about it while you're crocheting away. Why? It's just repetition. You've created a path in your brain. And it becomes easier and easier and easier to do the same thing over and over. And it becomes harder to change. Could you imagine finding out 20 years in that you've been hooking whatever wrong and you've got to change it, that'd be very hard to change. Yeah. Can you hook wrong? Is it Okay, see? I'm, I'm, I'm understanding this. There's a little path going through my brain right now, real shallow, real shallow. And it's not going to get any deeper, trust me. Yeah. But there's a danger in the spiritual realm as well. I mean, our mind does this, right? We create paths and it becomes easier and easier to do things that are positive or negative. But in the spiritual realm as well, we create, for lack of a better term, paths. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin, doesn't He? John 16, 8, Jesus said, And when He has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is the role of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. But we also know that He can be rejected, right? He can be rejected. He can be rejected by unbelievers. Remember when Stephen was contending with the Jews before he was stoned in Acts 7.51, he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist, resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Unbelievers can resist the working of the Spirit of God. But not only do unbelievers resist the Spirit of God, sometimes believers, oh, they, they re- re- respond before salvation, they get saved, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is now indwelling them, doing His work in them to make us like Christ, and He can be uh, resisted by us as well. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We are warned about this. Watch this. So the longer that the Holy Spirit of God is rejected, the more calloused we get. That thing we did this first time when the Holy Spirit said, Stop! It was like He was screaming, Stop! Don't do that! Hold on! Don't go there! Don't turn there! Don't look at that! Don't go that way! Boy, it took a long time to give in to that. But then as time has gone on, it gets easier and easier the path gets deeper and deeper to eventually, watch, it gets so easy we don't think about it anymore. And you say, what's wrong with that? See, this goes for the lost as well. Conviction. They know there's something wrong. 
They know they're not right with God. They know they're at, at enmity with God and they need to be born again of the Spirit of God. They know they're still spiritually, they understand this, that there's something in them. There's something that they understand that there's something wrong with me. And then conviction comes from the preaching and they reject that. And then it, they, they, for some reason, are under preaching again and conviction again and they reject that. And it gets quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter eventually to where there's no more conviction anymore. And this is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. It can't be, believers can't, cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus said, you know, we can, we can reject Jesus Christ. You can, you can blaspheme Jesus. You can blaspheme the Father, but you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost of God. Why? Watch. In God's chain of command, the Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God brings people to Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us before the Father. Watch this. When you get to the Holy Spirit and the job and the role of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and bring us to faith in Jesus Christ, if we reject the Spirit of God, there is nobody else past Him to bring us to Christ. There's not another... The, 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 we, we see a triune Godhead, not a, not a four-headed uh, Godhead. There's nothing beyond the Holy Spirit that goes, okay, well, I'm going to do my work now to try to get you the Holy Spirit. So now... No. So watch. When you reject the Spirit of God long enough, you know what He does? He says, fine. I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. I would never even attempt to say when that is. But it can come. See, this is what has happened in Felix's life today. Are you listening to me? Come back at a more convenient time. This is a hard time. You know, Holy Spirit of God is working in you this morning. He says, This is not a good time. I got a lot of plans. I'll take care of this later. There'll be a time when I'm sure it's more convenient. Listen, it'll never be more convenient to surrender and repent before the God of heaven. And with Felix, eventually the time never came, did it? As far as we can tell, it never came. You know, it's possible this morning that there are those in this room who the Holy Spirit of God has put His finger on something in your life and you have yet to say yes. I told you, tonight will be a lot happier. Don't worry. We've got to get through this. This is our text. This is it. How do we apply this? Well, the Holy Spirit of God has work in our life as well, doesn't He? And if you will notice in your own life, Maybe it has gotten easier to ignore the Holy Spirit than it did the first time. Because you're quenching the Spirit of God. And it's gotten easier and easier and easier. And the path has gotten deeper and deeper. And it's just an easy point A to point B. Just It's quick. Don't even think about it anymore. Can I remind you, believer, this morning, if you're here today and you, are, you, you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you remember the day that you repented before God and got saved and He saved you? You remember that day? Can I remind you? There is a judgment coming. Well, I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah, you are. Absolutely. But we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we are going to give an account of our life, of the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Not to be saved, 
But rewards, we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged. Today would probably be a good day to stop looking for a more convenient season. You know, there may be some in this room today that they remember the first time the Holy Spirit began to tell you that you weren't saved. You know something's wrong, you've heard the gospel, and you've been saying no. And can I warn you this morning, if you're still continuing to try to find a more convenient season, you may get what you ask for, and the Holy Spirit of God may leave you alone for eternity. That is not hyperbole, I'm not being sensational. That is biblical fact. That's where Felix was. Trembling under the conviction of the Spirit of God. Let's find a more convenient season. So what about you this morning? How long, how long will you continue to say no to God? I'm so thankful for God's long-suffering, for His patience. I'm so thankful for the Lord, for His mercy. I was just dwelling on that this week when it says His mercies are new every morning. We don't get old, we don't get old mercy. We don't get rehashed mercy. We don't get mercy from 100 years ago. Oh, I'll give you the mercy I had. for. Uh, it's new, brand new every morning. What a beautiful thought that is. Some of you just need to trust Him. Once and for all, you need to drive a stake in the ground and trust Him. You know, sometimes when more convenient seasons don't come, there's things that can't be repaired. I remember, you know, from Aurora over here, and there's there was a guy who... Uh, in, in, in the church there, I was going to as a kid, as uh, probably in my early 20s, Shorty, Shorty Lewis. And uh, he would sit out on his porch there down on Highland. I think it was Highland. Yeah. On my way to my buddy's house, I'd always fly past his house and he'd wave on the way. He'd be sitting out on his porch waving. And one day at church, he says, You need to come by and sit down with me. Just come by and sit with me. I said, I'll do that. I'll do that. He was, he was a great guy. <clears throat> And uh, I'd pass by all, all the time, you know, wave at him. And I got over to the school building one day behind at uh, ACA there and got to the school building to, I was helping them on music or something to the school kids. And uh, the pastor's wife stopped me and she said, uh, hey, uh, Shorty Lewis died today. I was like, you know the first thing that came to my mind? Yep. I never sat with him. Never stopped. It wasn't convenient. Every time I went by, it just wasn't convenient. And, and, and though that is a, a, a sad, sad thought, it is not nearly as drastic as not finding a convenient time, as looking for a more convenient time for the Holy Spirit of God. What about you this morning? Father, I don't know where anybody is in here really with you. I don't know what you've been dealing with them on. I don't know where your Holy Spirit has been working in their life, God. But they know. And Lord, it's my prayer, my desire 
And I know it's your desire that those that are looking for a more convenient season this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, God, I'd ask you just once again, would draw one more time, would convict one more time, that this morning they would put aside looking for a more convenient season and deal with you today. Whatever the issue is, it may be an issue on how they're living, on choices they're making, maybe issues on things you've asked them to do and they don't want to, maybe it may be salvation. Somebody here has just been resisting the Spirit of God and getting saved. Whatever it is, Father, would you just convict one more time? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand?